Are you feeling out of your depth attempting to parent your child's online world? Parenting in Cyberspace is brought to you by Parentline and the Queensland Government. This season talks about supporting young people's online well-being and experiences with cyberbullying. It's really important that we're allowing young people to be in control of their own narrative and that we're setting an example on the outside by role modelling and by encouraging them to be able to have a really strong support network. In this episode of the Parenting in Cyberspace podcast, I'm so excited to be joined by one of the Kids Helpline counsellors, Archie. Archie has been working with young people for over 10 years and since completing his studies has specifically worked with young people to explore different frameworks with them to help expand their understanding of the world around them. Kids Helpline is Australia's only free 24-7 confidential counselling service for children and young people aged 5 to 25. A qualified counsellor like Archie can be contacted anytime and for any reason via phone, web chat or email. Archie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me and thanks for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) To kick things off today, I wanted to ask about some of the common concerns that young people are experiencing when they're calling Kids Helpline. So some of the concerns that people talk about in general might be something that's happening at school, maybe something to do with their friendships or even some safety concerns that they might be having at home. So people can call us. I mean, our slogan is literally anytime, any reason. So we get a really broad range of things, even things as simple as people calling to tell us a joke. Or we might even get some teachers calling from the classroom, just introducing them to Kids Helpline in the first place. So young people can be supported by an adult to contact the service if they're feeling a little bit unsure about reaching out? Yeah, absolutely. We sometimes get people calling from maybe a guidance counsellor's office at school, so being supported by adults in that way. But typically when they're calling on their own, again, we get a really, really broad range of presentations that could be from something fun and light to something quite serious. Mm. It's so great that young people can be supported to initially contact Kids Helpline and then hopefully they feel a bit more comfortable with continuing to engage with the service or with a counsellor in future when they need to. In the context of something like bullying or cyberbullying, what are some of the emotions that young people often talk about feeling when they contact Kids Helpline? Some of the things that I hear quite often when someone's calling maybe for the first time or maybe even a couple of times in, so let's say they've decided that they'd like for me to be their regular counsellor and they present often with talking about bullying or cyberbullying, quite often what I'm hearing from them is that there's this intense fear for their safety. There's a bit of concern about being able to talk with other people about that experience, so isolation with in that and not really knowing how to resolve the problem as well, which is why I think it's really important that they are reaching out to a trusted adult to talk about, well, what ideas do I already have about solving the problem? Maybe I feel like I don't have any ideas and that's something that can come across too, this sense of hopelessness. Things won't change. And if I do tell someone, it's not going to change. It's just going to get worse. And I think that's something that's really ingrained in the ideologies that young people can sometimes have about things like bullying or cyberbullying, that if I talk about it, it gets worse. For us as parents and carers, what might be some of the signs that we could notice 
about how young people are presenting in terms of them experiencing feelings like fear or like hopelessness? How would we be able to identify that? That's a great question. And I almost want to turn that around a little bit and say, well, how would you react in a situation of fear? How would you react in a situation where maybe you feel isolated or you feel alone from others? Because quite often those kind of behavioural responses to really challenging situations are going to be the same whether you're a young person or whether you're an adult. So you might notice that maybe your child starts to withdraw a lot. Maybe they're not looking you in the eye. Maybe they're spending more time on the computer, which is another trap when it comes to cyberbullying. We tend to spend more time on it rather than less time when we're engaged in situations that might feel dangerous or unsafe for us because we're trying to find a way to be able to control that situation. So when we're noticing that young people may be spending more time doing things and not connecting with other people, it could be a sense of self-preservation that they're trying to do. And again, you know, reflecting that if we're in a similar situation where maybe we are feeling that fear or feeling that panic or in situations where we're experiencing bullying or, or something like that that is uncomfortable, we might have those same behaviours as well. So for adults, if we are in conflict with a partner or a friend and we're doing it via online means, we're probably sitting there checking our phone every couple of seconds to Mm -hmm. see what that person has said and trying to work out like how we can diffuse the situation or what steps we need to take next. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that that's kind of similar for young people. You know, sometimes they... Um, if they're experiencing cyberbullying or bullying, they might be constantly checking their devices, constantly checking the different platforms and apps that they're on to find out what is happening and what sort of looking out for what's happening next, I suppose. And that goes two ways, whether they're engaging avoidantly so or whether they're engaging in conflict resolution. So if they're looking actively to try and resolve the issues that are happening, so say they're experiencing cyberbullying and they're trying to mitigate the behaviours on their own, they might be spending more time online to be able to find a way to resolve that conflict. But also if they're maybe feeling feeling a little bit avoidant about not knowing who to talk to, not knowing how to get support, feeling really alone, feeling like they have to manage it all themselves. They will also spend more time online trying to figure that out in a way that might lead to more harmful behaviours in the long run. I've never actually thought about it that way, that young people are potentially spending more time online when they're having these experiences for one of those two reasons, or perhaps that's not everyone. It could be that they're spending a lot less time online. So someone who loved online gaming or any online platforms maybe is not asking if they can use whatever devices might be in their house. They're kind of sticking to themselves a little bit more and not wanting to go online. And the amazing thing as trusted adults on the outside is that we can look at those behaviours and say, oh, I noticed that my child's acting a little bit different. I'm not going to come at them and say, are you experiencing cyberbullying or is this something that's going on? But coming at it with a sense of curiosity and saying, oh, I've just really noticed that you've been spending a lot less time online or a lot more time online. And I'm wondering if maybe there's something or a reason that that is happening. Uh, So it comes from a really non-judgmental place as well. When young people are contacting 
Kids Helpline and they are feeling incredibly heightened and they're really feeling those big emotions about an experience. Let's say they're currently sitting at their computer or their device and they're contacting you because they're seeing comments pop up or messages pop up. Before you sort of work with them to come up with some strategies, I would imagine that one of the really important things to do is sit with them in that space and help regulate their emotions Mm -hmm. to a space where they're able to think about the next steps. Could you talk us through what that looks like? So the main thing that comes to my mind when you say that is nurture, nurture, nurture. And that's what we get when people call us and they're in heightened situations. Same for children as adult. If you're at 100%, if you're feeling super overwhelmed and that nothing's in your control, there's not a lot of space we have to move in that. So it's really important that we take time at the beginning of the conversation, first of all, to allow them to express how they're feeling because it's completely valid. And of course, if you're experiencing cyberbullying, you're going to have an emotional response to it, especially if it feels like something that you can't change or that you can't talk to anyone about, or maybe you're talking to someone about it for the first time. So it makes a lot of sense that they might be in this heightened state. So taking that time to really give them space to share what's happening and then engage with them in a way that's calming. So asking them what ideas they have about self-soothing or ideas that they have that help them to feel calm can often be a really good gateway into opening the discussion rather than coming in protectively. And I can say this from a counselling space, but I know as a parent, it can be a little bit more challenging to do rather than coming in protectively and saying, right, I've got this. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to change it. You deserve better. And I'm going to take care of you. We want to be able to empower young people to come up with their own solutions and be able to feel in control of their own environment. So giving them autonomy over their narrative, that might take a little bit more time and it might mean a little bit more space. And certainly as parents, it can be a little bit more uncomfortable because we know our child's not feeling 100%, but it also empowers them to be able to problem solve in the future as well. So really building those problem solving skills for them. So if they were to call Kids Helpline and they were in that overwhelming space, we would sit with them, let them share their narrative and their experience and and then come up with ideas that they find helpful. And if in that time we go, okay, cool. Have you tried all those ideas that you already have? Have you found them helpful? Is there anything changing for you? And they say, well, no, it's not really working for me. Awesome. Let's come up with some new ideas, some new strategies together. And then once we've come up with ways that we can get them into a space to be able to be calm enough to not objectively, because it's obviously a subjective experience. It's something that they're going through. So we don't want to necessarily take them away from that story, but being able to say, okay, If your friend was in the same situation, what kind of things would be helpful for them? How would you support them? And then look at it from their perspective and say, okay, well, how can I support myself? What things can I do? What is within my control? That is such a fantastic strategy. What are some of the barriers that young people talk about in sessions with yourself and other counsellors to telling their parents and carers about experiences of cyberbullying or bullying? Mm. 
people come from a range of different backgrounds and a range of different experiences. So we don't make assumptions about a young person's life or home environment or anything like that. We can only go off what they're sharing with us in the moment. But it is a really big question, you know, and that doesn't come from a place of judgment at all. But sometimes people do feel more comfortable talking with strangers about their experiences than they might with their parents. And I'm going to, again, use the example of when we were kids. I know I certainly didn't tell my mum everything all at once or my dad. So it was really important for me to have other trusted adults in my life who I could talk to. And it can be really uncomfortable as a parent. I understand that your child is talking to this stranger. You don't know anything about them. You don't know what they're sharing. You don't know if they're talking about home stuff, school stuff or friendship stuff. But what I think is really important is that young people have a network of trusted adults that they can go to. So being comfortable with sitting with that space of saying, okay, I know that maybe my child may not feel comfortable talking with me about this and that's okay. I'd like if they did, but if they feel comfortable talking with someone else about it, who I know is a trusted adult in their life, if they have a network of five people is what we usually kind of recommend, paid and unpaid professionals that they can talk to, then it's great that they're getting that support and having their needs met in in a way that feels safe for them. And it would be perfectly fine as a parent too to have that conversation with your child to say, I've noticed that your behaviour is a little bit different. I notice you're feeling a little bit more connected or maybe you're spending a bit more time online. Do you feel comfortable talking with me about that? And if not, if something was happening, who would you feel comfortable talking to? So it's about keeping things private but not keeping things secret. I'm talking to someone else about my experience. Great. They can talk about that experience with someone else. It doesn't necessarily have to be me. But what I want to know is that if they are having a difficult situation, if there is something going on for them, particularly when it comes to cyberbullying and there are really big emotions of, of fear and, and shame and worry as well that come along with that, that they're talking with someone who they feel like they can trust. In terms of those feelings of shame and fear that you mentioned, is that around the experience itself or is that also in relation to talking about the experience? maybe both. And again, that's such a person by person circumstance because it depends on the type of bullying or cyberbullying as well. Sometimes it might be things to do with character attacks. Other times it might be things that are beyond a young person's control. And every person is going to react to that differently. So young people might at times feel scared talking to their parents. And again, that's a really, really normal thing. We've all been children at some stage. We've all experienced what that's like. But sometimes it might have to do with the context of what is going on for them. And particularly if young people might be engaging back at someone who's cyberbullying. So let's say, and again, a really normal experience, someone said something hurtful to me online, I might have a knee-jerk reaction to want to say something hurtful back to them. And that's something that maybe as it continues, before we start help-seeking and say, hey, this person's saying awful things to me and I really don't like it, looking back at that experience after a couple of days or even a couple of hours or sometimes maybe even in like half an hour where it's kind of amped up a lot that we look back and we say, oh, actually, I said some hurtful things as well. Or maybe I didn't respond to that in the way that I want to. And that can often bring about maybe a sense of shame or a sense of fear that I'm going to get in trouble for the things that I've said. So that at times can prevent people from help seeking in the first place. And further 
prevent people from feeling comfortable talking to their parents about it because maybe they feel a sense that once my parent sees that I've written this really awful thing about someone else as a response to being cyberbullied, they're going to have a different opinion about me as well and I'm the one who's going to get in trouble for it. And so as a result of feeling unable to share that with their parents, what might also come out of that is once my parent sees what I've said to this other person, my device is going to be taken away mm. or my tech time is going to be limited or there are going to be other consequences that might get grounded. So there's plenty of reasons that young people maybe worry about the consequences of talking with their parents about what's been going on and uh, the impacts that that might have. That is something that we hear a lot as well is that fear around devices being taken away or time being limited from young people when it comes to experiences like cyberbullying or really anything that's sort of happening for them online. But that was such a fantastic breakdown of what might be going through young people's minds in this moment where they're having this experience and they might be, like you say, writing back to people. And I think it's really important to reiterate, like you said, it's not going to look the same for everyone. What are some of the long-term impacts that young people talk to you about or that you see young people experiencing from things like bullying and cyberbullying? So the two big things that really come up in that is increased fear and increased isolation. So when I'm talking about increased fear, it might be feeling worried about going to school, feeling worried about making new friends, feeling worried about talking to trusted adults about the experiences that they're going through, feeling worried about the consequences that might happen if someone did find out about it and keeping secrecy around the experience that they're having in cyberbullying or bullying. And with increased isolation, and what I mean by that is that they might start to withdraw from the people around them. They might feel unable to reach out for support when they're really needing it or even feeling isolated to the sense of having to change going online to other activities because it doesn't feel like a safe space for them. I know I've spoken with quite a few clients who after experiencing cyberbullying have gone, I'm never going to go online again. And this might be an experience that they share or don't share with their parents. And quite often we don't know whether they've done that or not, but they'll say, okay, I'm no longer going on Snapchat. I'm no longer going on Facebook. What I'm going to do now is invest my time in drawing. So I'm going to spend every night drawing. And it has a pros, its pros and cons of Obviously, it's for safety so that they can feel safe and, and do an activity that they really enjoy and obviously, you know, gain better skills from drawing every single night. But it also separates them from their peers and can kind of further exacerbate that fear around, well, if I make a friend, I don't know how this is going to go and what happens when things go south. What do I do with that? And the way that we can support young people in being able to manage that experience is by keeping the communication open. Again, we want them to have private experiences, but we don't want them to be secret. So we want them to be able to say, oh, cool, here's something that's happening for me and I'm going to try and manage it on my own. But when it becomes really overwhelming, what I'm going to do is talk with a trusted adult or someone else in my life who I know can give me support and give me ideas and help me to figure out how I can be more in control of my narrative when I'm online. And as parents and carers, how can we encourage young people to trust us to have those conversations with them? You sort of touched on before that they might be scared about telling us or they might feel ashamed about telling us about things that they've said to other young people. So how can we support 
an environment where they feel comfortable to have those conversations with us. Mm. It's really important that we're approaching these conversations with young people with curiosity. So rather than coming at them and saying, what are you doing online? I notice that this has happened or I notice that your behavior is changing or, you know, are you feeling safe and coming with a lot of assumptions? What we want to be doing is taking a step back and like we might even talk to young people about staying calm, taking a deep breath before going into this conversation. It's perfectly normal that as parents or even as people that we sometimes feel a sense to want to protect the people that we care a lot about. That's a really, really normal thing. But we want to make sure that when we're encouraging people to communicate with us that we're approaching with curiosity. So instead of saying, tell me what you're doing online, we might approach that conversation by saying, hey, I've noticed you've been spending a lot of time online. I wonder what you're doing on there. And of course, not every young person is going to respond to that in a way that's, you know, oh, I'm going to tell you everything that I'm doing. And here we go. And we have to expect that just like we wouldn't tell our children every single thing that we do online. We can't expect that they're going to do the same. Mm -hmm. But it's really great to set a cultural culture around being able to, again, keep things private and not secret. So it's okay for me not to know everything that's going on in your life, in your online world. But I'm hoping that if something was happening, would you feel comfortable talking with me about it? Or would you feel comfortable talking with another trusted adult about it? So that could be a coach, it could be a family friend, it could be someone who's within your network as well. But what we want to be able to do is give young people the autonomy and power to pick who those people are and have them let us know who those people are so that we know who they are. One of the things that makes me think when you're speaking about having these conversations with young people is the idea and I suppose underlying importance of starting the conversations early, not just when we notice that there's something going on for them. Mm -hmm. So like you're saying, asking them, what's the funniest thing that you've seen online this week? And initiating those conversations with them about what they're doing online really early on so that we've already established a relationship around talking about their online world with them when something does happen for them. That's a great example of how we can engage young people in opening those conversations with us. So it's not necessarily coming to them straight away and saying, I think you're being cyberbullied and I really want to know what's going on and I want to protect you and I need to make sure that you're safe online, but maybe slowly introducing themes into the way that you talk about being online with young people. And that example, again, of saying, oh, I saw this really funny video today on YouTube. Do you want to watch it with me? So that it starts to become a shared experience and in them knowing what you do online, it may, and I'm using that word tentatively, it may increase their comfortability around talking about what they're doing online as well. I love the use of the word may because I'm just thinking of teenagers and being asked what they're doing online. But I think that it's still important to ask because it's still letting them know that the door's open if they want to come in and have a conversation about their online world. I really like the saying, hold on tightly and let go lightly. So obviously, as a parent, we're in a protective space, we're in a supportive space, we want to know and make sure that our, our children are being cared for. But when we're opening this conversation or opening that door, we're holding on tightly to the idea that they're going to tell us everything we <laughs> want to know about what they're doing. But if they don't, we're going to let go lightly. We're going to say, I trust 
that you are handling this situation as best as you can and that if you felt comfortable or you felt like you needed to talk with someone, there would be someone for you to talk to. And I guess this might be a good point to kind of circle around back to the space that Kids Helpline holds for young people is that sometimes there can be an idea that we just want them to talk with us and and not share things with their parents or that this is a completely secret conversation. And we do really believe in young people's privacy and their autonomy in being able to share their experiences with other people. But we really do encourage that they have a strong network of trusted adults that they can talk to. And being able to talk with different people and get different perspectives is something that will help them as they learn to socialize and become older as well. So for example, I know that I'll go to different friends for different advice. I'll go to one friend for recipes. I'll go to another friend to learn what the best red wine is. They're not always going to be the same people. And just like with young people dealing with cyberbullying, they're not always going to want to talk to the same person about the experience that they're having. And as trusted adults, it's okay for us to accept that. But it's important that we're aware that they have someone they can talk to so they're not alone. That's so good for parents and carers to hear that it's important to remember that just because our child is going to someone else to have these conversations, it doesn't mean that they're not going to come to us for other things or when they need a particular kind of support. Just off of what you're saying there, one thing that came to my mind was it takes a lot of courage to share when you're in these difficult situations. While we might be hearing it for the first time, We don't know if this young person has been experiencing this for a couple of days or a couple of years, whether it's one incident or multiple, whether it's ongoing by one person or many people. And the fact that they're feeling comfortable to open up to anyone at all speaks volumes to their courage. And we can imagine what it might be like as adults. If you go to someone for the first time and let's say you decided to share, this person's been saying some really awful things to me. And if we're looking at maybe messages or something and they want to share that with you and you notice that they've said a message back to someone that might not necessarily be kind worded and that's the point that you emphasize the young person is not going to want to keep talking about that anymore they're going to feel that sense of shame and maybe they should have kept it to themselves when really they're just opening up for the first time so when we're approaching these conversations for the first time with young people the most important thing is what we're doing is validating their courage validating the strength that it takes to be able to say I'm putting myself in a vulnerable position here as well because I know that I might not necessarily have behaved in a way that's necessarily aligned with my values 100% of the time. And so recognizing that and validating that help-seeking behavior is the first step towards allowing them the opportunity to say, wait a minute, I know last time that I went to mom or last time I went to dad or my carer, I went to them and I told them that I had this really difficult situation and they didn't highlight the fact that maybe I said something not so nice in response to someone else. They highlighted the fact that what this person said to me wasn't okay in the first place. And highlighted the fact that it was so brave for me to come to them and I felt so loved and accepted in that moment. I think that what you've said there, Archie, is so important to remind ourselves that it is, like you say, a lot of young people experience huge amounts of fear when it comes to telling people what experiences they've had online. And acknowledging that is such a great first step for people to take when they're having these conversations. And if we have noticed that something is going on for a young person and we're not sure what it is, 
saying to them, you know, it can be really scary to talk about experiences that we have and it takes a lot of courage and bravery to have those conversations and I want you to know that I'm here for you and there are other people that are here for you as well so if you can't talk to me about this it's it would be great if you could talk to Kids Helpline or if you could talk to one of your aunties or your uncles or like you say another trusted adult whether that's someone who's paid or unpaid. Some parents might be concerned about experiences of cyberbullying or bullying leading to long-term impacts like anxiety or depression. How could they best support their child or adolescent in those instances? When we talk about anxiety and depression, I think it's really important that we are able to really unpack what those experiences are and what they mean because they can be terms that a lot of people bring about and and talk about without unpacking it because at the end of the day, they're just euphemisms. So when we're talking about depression, we're talking about not being able to let go of the past. When we're talking about anxiety, it's about talking about having a fear of the future. So it would be perfectly fine that as young people experiencing cyberbullying, that they may have both of those experiences going hand in hand you know, we're people who move through space and we're not stagnant. Our personalities aren't stagnant. Our our experiences aren't stagnant. We're going to have times in our life where we're holding on to the past or feeling fearful about the future. So if we're looking at the long-term impacts of young people, being able to develop the language that is strength-based and being able to really emphasize, again, their narrative, their story, what they are in control of and engaging in that not only when it comes to cyberbullying, but just the way that we talk to young people in general can help them to feel back in control of their experiences and also normalizing that these are feelings that we have, whether we want to or not in life, everyone's going to have those feelings. It's when it becomes overwhelming or ongoing that then we need to kind of look a bit more further into it. And again, you know, looking at talking with trusted professional adults in their lives. So if you do notice that a young person has maybe been feeling like they can't let go of a past for a really long time, it's starting to impact their general well-being, not showering, not talking to people, isolating, feeling really alone, or even talking and expressing concerns about their own safety or safety of other people, then that's where we really need to step in and, and intervene and look at other ways of being able to get them support as well, whether that comes through medication or counseling support or psychology, whatever it is that is going to be most effective and what is going to be most helpful for that young person. And bring back that sense of control for them in those situations as well by the sounds of it. Mm. I think what you've said there about strengths-based language kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, about acknowledging that bravery of young people who tell us about the experiences that they might be having. And it's kind of similar when perhaps they are going through long-term impacts of something like cyberbullying is really acknowledging what their strengths are and how we can build on those or expand those or use those to get through these experiences. You've provided so much advice for parents and carers and for young people as well throughout our conversation today. But what would be a piece of advice that you have for parents and carers who are navigating this space? I feel like the one takeaway that I'm hoping I can provide for parents and carers listening to this podcast 
is that it's really important that we're allowing young people to be in control of their own narrative and that we're setting an example on the outside by role modelling and by encouraging them to be able to have a really strong support network. And when I talk about that, what I mean is role modelling by being able to give them examples of maybe when we've been in the same situation or really normalise the way that they go about help-seeking behaviour. And we can demonstrate that it doesn't necessarily have to be to say, oh, I was cyberbullied too when I was 12 years old and I called Kids Helpline. It's more in the way that we go about problem solving and showing examples of that to young people. So that might be if we're having maybe a bit of conflict with a colleague at work, being able to talk with that our young people about saying, oh, I'm having this experience at work at the moment where I don't really get along with someone and I was able to talk with them about it today. Have you kind of experienced something like that as well? Yeah, so drawing parallels from our own life that, like you say, don't necessarily have to be the exact same experience. We don't have to have experienced cyberbullying to be able to connect with our children about what it feels feels like to maybe be excluded or to maybe have someone be saying really hurtful or negative things to us. We can connect with them from our own experiences in other areas of our lives as well. Yeah, that's it. And the other part of that too is, again, encouraging that they do have a strong network of trusted adults that they can talk to. So really being comfortable with the idea that maybe they're not always going to want to talk to us as their parents or carers, really normalising that if they don't want to talk with us, that they have other trusted adults in their life that they can talk to. And I'm talking paid and unpaid professionals is what the gold standard would be. But whatever trusted adults they have in their life that they feel comfortable talking to is 100% okay as well. And letting them lead that process could be a great way to really help them feel autonomous about their help seeking too. But it doesn't mean that if they can't think of people that we don't provide ideas for them. We will be putting a activity that parents and carers can do with young people in the show notes. So it'll be around those five fingers of support and connecting with our kids about who those people might be in their life. Archie, thank you so much for the fantastic advice that you have provided today and for coming along and talking about some of the experiences that you've had as a Kids Helpline counsellor. I really appreciate it and I know that our listeners will too. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm now joined by Kim Harper, who is a parenting expert and the Parentline Manager to discuss what we've learned in today's episode and how you can use this information when parenting your children and young people. Kim, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. One of the big things that Archie and I talked about throughout this episode was the distinction between keeping things private versus keeping things a secret. Can you break down the difference between those concepts for our listeners and then touch on how we can best teach our kids what the difference is? Look, I think we broached on this earlier when we were talking about dobbing versus reporting. This is that kind of conversations that we want to have on a regular basis with our kids. We want to upskill them. Right? We want them to be able to problem-solve information. We want them to be able to develop the skills as they get older to be able to deal and distinguish between what they need help with and what is theirs to manage on their own because they're allowed to have privacy. 
right? They're allowed to have information that they only keep to themselves. And that information as they grow older will become more sexual, will become more private, will kind of blur the lines from a parenting perspective as well, because that's their natural development, right? And as a parent, we want to be able to respect that as well, but we want to be able to talk to them about it when they're younger, to give them the skills to be able to understand first and foremost, that there is nothing that they can't talk to us about. How do we create an environment where our kids feel incredibly comfortable to bring us anything and we're going to help them deal with it? Right. We're not going to that they feel that they feel confident that then, our you know, as parents, we're just not going to react instantly and be upset that we're going to be able to help them with that. And sometimes, you know, that might be nothing and we're going to help them figure out that that's nothing and it's something that they can handle on their own. And other times we're like, okay, so let's do this together. Let's work this, let's work through this together. So we want to create that environment first and foremost from a really young age. It's going to come down to whether or not there's potential for this to be harmful, right? Is, is this secret harmful? Is, is this secret potentially harmful to other people? As well, does the young person have a responsibility to have to get help for that young person, a friend of theirs or someone else that's going through something? And again, I think it's about how do you kind of create an environment where they can ask these questions and problem solve this and get help when they need to kind of get help. If they think that something is potentially harmful for their friends, if there's something that's coming their way online that is potentially harmful for to them, that they're going to get the help that they need to distinguish the difference. I think it's really important from a parent's perspective to understand that they're going to react, right? That they're going to have a reaction when our kids bring us something that is scary, something that is potentially harmful, we're going to feel a lot of emotions when we feel like our kids are at risk. When our kids are in danger or someone has tried to hurt them or someone, anything, we are going to have some really strong emotional reactions in, in relation to that. And that's normal. It's, I think it's really normal. Again, it's about kind of understanding that. How do we, how do we kind of maintain an area of self-awareness because there's also going to be times when those reactions will in turn affect the relationship with our, our, our kids as well. And that's what we want to kind of try to prevent. If it is affecting it in a negative way, then we need to discuss it. We need to be self-aware about that. But it's completely normal. You know, when we hear some information that is terrifying for us to be terrified in particular, an example that this discussion makes me think of is if a parent stumbles across something that their young person hasn't shared with them, but that they get that sense of fear from fear for their child's safety, fear for someone else's safety, whatever the case might be. How can parents approach those situations whilst keeping their child's best interests in their mind? Because I think it kind of go, goes back to something that we've talked about a lot in this podcast, which is it can be really challenging in those situations not to just try and fix the problem or our perception of the problem. I think the first thing that we're we're dealing with in that scenario and, and what we're really lucky to have in that scenario is a bit of time. If we've stumbled over something, then that initial reaction that we have is going to be is going to be quite, you know, it's going to be a big one. Understandably, like if we see something, we don't understand it, it's scary, explicit potentially, who knows what it is, but as a parent, we're going to have a natural response to that. 
depending on the relationship that we have with our kids, depending on our perception of whatever it is that we've stumbled across as well, we could have potential reactions that can be quite harmful to the relationship. You can have parents that have the reaction in, I can't believe you didn't tell me this. So like first and foremost, it's that I, that's I think where that concept of secret comes in and it's almost like a insult to the relationship that the child hasn't shared. I thought we were close. I thought they told me everything and they take it as a personal slight that their their child hasn't shared information. It's at that point in time that we need to remind parents that a teenager's job is to get independence from them. A teenager's job is to figure out how to problem solve information by themselves. I think it's really important to kind of say that sometimes the information that we stumble across might not be as distressing as we're perceiving it to be as well. So many kind of changes are going on in a, in a teenager's life. They're figuring out who they are. A massive percentage of their life is online as well. A lot of information is online as well. So they're trying to navigate that space as well. So I think like anything that we've, we've spoken about this a few different times, how do we regulate as a parent? When we sit down with our kids, what is the goal of the conversation? What are things that potentially could come up and trigger us and in turn create a barrier in the connection between us and our teenager? One will be, you know, our feelings are hurt. That's going to create a barrier in between our relationship with us and our teenager. And it will get in the way of actually reaching the goal, which is to try and understand. Try and have some type of understanding about what they need if they're going through something and to know how to balance that conversation. You know, we're not going to push it. We're going to create a space that is safe, but they might not want to talk about it as well because they might be embarrassed. They might be ashamed. Who knows? It depends on the kind of information that we're kind of what we've stumbled across at that point in time. But I think it's really important to kind of have that self-awareness about how it makes us feel before going into the conversation first and foremost. How do we know if this is something that we need to talk to our child or our teenager about? I think the conversations that we should be initiating is if we see something that is potentially really hurtful and damaging, if we see something that is illegal, if we see something that is criminal, then that's something that we should probably be broaching a conversation with, thinking about it like we're a team and we're going to figure this out together. I think if we're just seeing some stuff that might be a bit of a shock to us, it is okay for our kids to have that privacy. If we've created a space where they feel safe to talk to us, they might not think that we have a, you know, a need to know anything. They're allowed to have things that are personal to themselves. So first and foremost, you're right. I think that's the question that we need to be asking ourselves. Is this something that I even need to be broaching with my, my teenager? When in doubt, ask a question. Honesty is important. If we've created a space that we can have honest conversations, we can say, you know, just so you know, I did see that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you your space, but you know that I'm always here if you need me. Kim, thank you so much. I think that that is such a useful breakdown of the differences and similarities between privacy and secrecy and how we can broach these conversations with our children and young people. Thank you. To find out more about anything we've discussed on today's episode, access free resources or get in touch with the show, please visit parentline.com.au and hit the cyberbullying tab.
If you'd like to talk privately with a professional counsellor, please call Parentline on 1300 30 1300 or visit parentline.com.au to chat to us online.